Welcome to the Oxford Sidebar Podcast, the 15th of August 2013, from the Oxfordshire branch of the British Science Association. We now have an interview with our speaker from this month, Dr Mike Goldsmith, who spoke to us on Discord, The Story of Noise. This is the August Sidebar, and we just heard from Dr Mike Goldsmith talking about noise, which is a fascinating topic and well illustrated by a certain amount of background noise. Um... So thanks, Mike, very much for a really interesting talk. And just to lead in, I was just wondering, um, you're talking about sound, noise being sound out of place and what people don't like. Um, I was thinking, are there any noises that are inherently unpleasant or inherently noisy that are considered perhaps cross-culturally or in any context to be noisy, or is it very much a matter of preference or context or, or culture? Okay, now there certainly are some noises which are universally condemned. One, one um, baby's crying is famously, supposedly, um, the, the sound of a baby crying is at least anecdotally supposed to be composed of a, of a combination of frequencies and, and which, which people find very up, upsetting and, and sort of attention-getting. Um, there was a survey done actually a few years, a couple of years ago by the University of Salford looking for the, sound, the worst sound in the world and that sound was the sound of someone throwing up. And perhaps it's, and maybe it's no coincidence that the word noise originates from the word nausea. So certainly those, those couple of examples are, are universally thought as, as being unpleasant. Generally speaking, noises which are not harmonious on the whole and are loud and are sudden, that tends to be the characteristics of, of noise. But although there's always, there are always examples from music that you can find that where you have sudden discordant noises which are sounds, sorry, which, which are thought of as, as in their context quite pleasant. So there's not any hard and fast rules, but yeah, there's a few, there's a few characteristics of things that tend to be called noises. Because in music, I mean, I, I um, play as well, so yes, I know some, some chords on their own do sound odd, but yes. they sound very different and just completely the whole, the whole character has changed by, by the context. I yes. can see how that would happen. But I know also with music, there's, you know, there's a a certain, I don't know so much now, but certainly the 20th century wave of atonal and quarter tones yeah, and absolutely. screechy noises. And I yeah. always thought, you know, is that, is that people ever going to like, can people be trained to like that? Well, it's can interesting. people be trained to like a noise? Yeah, well, it's interesting that in a way that hasn't really caught on, has it? You don't get much popular music, I mean, popular classical music, which, which is very atonal. But on the other hand, of course, in rock music, you get a lot of really strong discords with electric guitars and stuff, and that's certainly a very intrinsic part of noise. It's simply like just the loudness of a, of a, of a rock concert or the sound of the, the drums, for example, are very much things which, within a classical context, would be regarded as you know, unacceptably noisy. So there, I think there is, a, there is to some extent, um, these things have sort of caught on in a way. Um, and I guess, in a way, the classic example of this is car noise. The, the one type of noise which has been quite carefully researched and, and developed as, an, as a kind of attention-getting noise is the sound of automobiles. Um, in, the, in the States, in particular, and vast sums have been put into making, uh, developing the sound of a car from its engine to its door to its hooter. Every part of a car has to sound right. And right often quite means macho and, and, and powerful and therefore actually quite noisy. And in fact, there's a huge disparity between people's reactions to, to noise, isn't it? And um, some people really want their cars to sound very throaty and loud. Other people hate that. Indeed, one of the big concerns, or one of the big popular concerns in the States at the moment, particularly um, I think in New York, is the sound of boom cars, where that, that sound is very much um, deliberately generated. And the owners of it, of course, would think it's a wonderful thing to have a boom car and make lots of noise, but make lots of sound. But it, it's, it's also very widely regarded as a real kind of menace in terms of, in terms of environmental noise. So noise is very much what you make it and what, and what you think of it is and where you stand, really, as to as whether, how you define it. 
And you're saying about baby, there's been something about a baby's cry that's sort of inherent that people, it, it, people feel worried by it. I mean, are there, I think in terms of something you actually want, in that case, that might be a, uh, a good idea, it might be a good idea because the baby might need attention and yeah. it be good for it to get. So I was thinking, are there other inherent properties that you might want, for instance, an alarm sound or a siren or something about those that where you can sort of design, do design them intention getting danger? Yeah, well, actually, this, this is another quite interesting aspect because until very recently, all alarms were literally alarming. So they're loud and, and they're sudden. They tend to be either discordant or to have high pitches which are particularly penetrating. And in fact, there was a, there's been a lot of concern um, uh, in the UK and in other countries at the moment about the sounds of, of, um, of uh, warning systems on trains, which have to be what what they've decided to do with that what they decided to do to reduce the the level of cons- the level of disturbance caused by train hooters is make it much more directional so trains now fire the sounds they make straight ahead which is which is fine unless you've got a corner coming up and then the the sound has to be extremely loud to get around the corner because of course what you want to warn is people around the track along the track whether they're around the corner or straight ahead um, but inter- an interesting development there is actually um, a company called Brigade Electronics has started to develop a whole new type of warning system for vehicles, which is that instead of a sort of ringing sound or a beeping sound, it just makes a kind of shh sound, like a white noise sound, which is intrinsically, it is attention-getting, but it's not at all alarming, particularly if it's got a bit of a build-up. So a sound like shh doesn't make people jump, but it does It does kind of a- attract people's attention. So actually, although you would, might think an alarm sound has to be alarming, it just goes to show that even in that area, after all the, the years of making alarms, there are still ways to develop uh, sounds which do the job, but aren't actually as disturbing as, as uh, they originally were. Yeah, because I'm just, I was just, I can't remember when I was reading about um, they're working on that for a long list of hospitals, because obviously the, the problem there is you need, if there's, if there's something going on, you need, to the start, you need to get the staff's attention at the same time. You don't want loud screeching noises constantly. Yeah. And in fact, having those, there's, there's something I think they call alarm fatigue. So if it happens too often, then yes, it just annoys people. They don't respond as quickly. But as you're working on nicer sounds and yeah. more attention getting without being annoying kind of sounds. Yes, and actually, a hospital is a classic, a classic um, case of a, a place where, ideally at least, you've got a very quiet environment, which is good. But of course, that means that any in, any noise, any sound which is generated in, in that. Um, is, is intrinsically startling because it's not like where we're recording now and there's a pub and if there was a sudden bang here if it wasn't too loud we probably wouldn't bother us because there's lots of other noises if you have a sudden bang in a hospital even a fairly quiet one is going to be very disturbing in that quiet background so it's actually quite a serious matter to, to research these kind of things and in fact Florence Nightingale she was very concerned with the sounds of um, uh, that disturb people in hospitals and she pointed out that even things like the rustle of crinolines for example worn by or of, of, of dresses worn by the worn by the nurses could themselves actually be quite disturbingly noisy um, particularly if um, the patient was in bed and didn't see where the sound came from so even even all those years ago in the 1860s or whenever it was that she was working she was realizing that that to be disturbing a sound to be a noise, the sound doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be unpleasant. You don't have to make it deliberately. It's very much the context, and particularly where people, where ill people are concerned, quite quiet sounds can actually be very disturbing. But also, I think even without that context, I know you can be more, if it's a sound as a concept, so if you're in bed, I know I've been woken up by a quiet sound that is out of place. Yes. And, you know, if it's somebody breaking in. Yes. But that sound doesn't have to be loud if it's that, that's right in fact I suppose like with all our senses really we're surrounded we're constantly monitoring at a sort of low level all the sounds around us and so for example it's well known that if you're in a room with a ticking clock 
you can be completely unaware of it until it stops and then it's the absence of that sound the change in the soundscape which which has alerted you even though there's not there's literally now nothing to hear you do suddenly you're suddenly aware that there was that ticking noise and in fact um this this is very much pertinent in in studies of noise because um one when when there was some in the 1950s about the 1950s there was some concern about factory noise although you know it's 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 always been it's always been quite late. People have been concerned quite late about the problems of noises in factories and workplaces. Um, factory owners would often argue that their their staff actually just got used to the sound. And in, indeed, when you interview people who work in noisy environments, they will sometimes say they just get used to it. But in fact, what one finds is that, although on a on a conscious level, they're 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 kind of used to it. They sort of don't notice it. If you look at their blood pressure, for example, you'll still find that heightened. Um, levels of blood pressure and heightened levels of certain hormones in the bloodstream sort of flight or flight flight or fight type hormones like adrenaline will be raised so which just goes to show that the body is always being affected by noises even though the mind might have adapted itself or, or, or habituated itself to what the noises that surround you so you could, it could be bad for you if you don't think yes it still could be bad for you yeah. <laughs> I think well I think that one of the things with noise is that it invades people's space and if you're on a train or a cafe or anywhere where you're kind of in a fixed position relative to other people it's very easy for that for people to to upset you by interfering with that space around you by filling it with noise and so in response to that I think one reason that people might want to listen to an iPod in that context or talk on their mobiles or whatever is to kind of reclaim that space fill it with their own noise if you like and of course the problem is with with iPods in particular is that if you listen to one in a noisy environment you're, you're bound to turn out quite loud and then when you leave that noisy environment to somewhere quiet, you don't turn it down again. So at some level, you're used to that noise. But of course, the physiological damage is still, is still being done. And the other problem, of course, is that the sound is being piped directly into, into your ear. And so um, it, really can, it really can be extremely damaging over a long, over a long period of, of use. And the problem is that that damage won't necessarily occur until later life when it's too late to do anything about it. And isn't that likely to be an increasing problem I, I think it really could be an increasing problem. Yes, I think that um, um, there is. We are in a, a slightly new situation in that. I mean, when I was when I was kind of youngish in the in the seventies, people did listen to kind of Walkman, Walkman and things a little bit, but not that much. And you would go to discos and stuff, but that would be that would be quite an extent. You know, you deafen yourself overnight at the disco, and I'm sure that did do some harm. But you did do it every night. But of course, the trouble is, a lot of people listen to iPods habitually, you know, for hours and hours a day. And and the, one of the one of the features of, of noise damage to the to the hearing system is that um, it's very much about the amount of energy you're exposed to over a certain time. So you can cope with a certain amount, number of loud noises over a short time without any damage, and you can cope for noi- a low level noise for quite a lot longer. But if you cope with if you have low level noise for a long, long time, it will do as much damage as, as, as louder noises over a short time will do. So, you know, if you're talking about hours of exposure a day, I think it's bound to have its impact. Um, and we're not just talking about um, hearing loss here. Tinnitus, for example, is an increasing problem. This is like ringing in your ears. And this can be extremely um, uh, um, 
unpleasant for people. It can prevent them from sleeping. It can make it difficult for them to hear conversations. And these sort of whining or shrieking or ringing noises in their ears can be really very disturbing for people. And unfortunately, there's very little that can be done to help people. So in certain respects, that can be worse than hearing loss because at least with some, with moderate hearing loss, you can, you can adapt a bit with hearing aids. But with, um, with tinnitus, if it's severe, there's really nothing that can be done. And, and that is, unfortunately, a feature of exposure to things like iPods that sort of not very loud but fairly loud sounds over a long period without much re- without much um, rela- relaxation oh, yeah constant noise with tinnitus yeah constant noise yeah great thank you that's really very interesting okay thank you very much it's a pleasure so um, that was an uh, interview with Dr Mike Goldsmith and we just heard his um, talk on noise and discord thank you very much for listening thank you for listening to our podcast we hope you enjoyed it Details of our upcoming events can be found at our website, www.oxfordcybar.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Oxford Cybar and on Facebook, British Science Association, Oxfordshire Branch.